Hi and welcome to the St Saviour's Finsbury Park podcast. Our vision is to be a church alive in God's love to serve the city. And we hope this teaching helps you to know God and serve him more wherever you've been uniquely placed. Let's jump in. Sixteen hundred years ago, a few thousand miles away in Algeria, there was a man called Oggy. Now, Oggy grew up in relative comfort with a Christian mum and an unbelieving dad. They were fairly well off, and so Oggy always had what he needed. His parents supported him through school, and he was clever and so studied philosophy and rhetoric. And when he was older, he became a successful teacher. At the same time, he was living a wild lifestyle and he fathered a child at a young age out of marriage to a woman that he never named. It seems then at this stage of his life, Oggy was living in a tension of knowing what God wanted to live, that that God wants him to live a life devoted to him. But Oggy just was not ready to give up on the things that he wanted and his own desires. It seemed like he was enjoying that life just too much. He prayed a prayer. O Lord, make me pure, but not yet. But one day, Oggy had a profound spiritual experience. He heard a voice telling him, take up and read. And so he opened the Bible and began reading Paul's letter to the Romans. As he read, he was filled with a sense of God's grace and forgiveness. And from that moment on, Oggy's life was transformed. He changed completely dedicating himself to knowing God, and he even became a bishop and one of the most influential Christian thinkers of all time, St. Augustine of Hippo. See what I did there? Um, His prayer is one of the most famous and well-known prayers in Christian history, and it articulates that oh-so-relatable experience of wanting to follow God, but also wanting to give in to our own desires. Oh Lord, make me pure, but not yet. Let's pray. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Good morning. My name is Chris and I'm part of the team here at St. Saviour's and it is a massive privilege to be able to speak this morning. We are in week two of a series called The Scaffolding is Coming Down and we can now say that the scaffolding is down, so very exciting day um, to be preaching this. Um, And in this series, we're exploring what's happening in the physical, the scaffolding coming down, what that might mean for where God's calling us to spiritually as a church. Pete framed this last week as a transition from surviving scarcity to stewarding abundance and set out four C's that we're going to be exploring together. Consecration, confession of sin, confidence in the gospel and championing the next generation. So today we're continuing with consecration, or to continue Pete's long title game from last week. The scaffolding is now down and it's a sign of the new season that's upon us, but maybe now we need to put a new scaffold up. (laughs) Or for short, the old scaffolding has come down, now let's put up a new one. And before Dan Allwood has a heart attack, it's a metaphorical scaffold, I promise. (laughs) So uh, consecration. It is a strange word, isn't it, consecration? It's not often that I'm casually chatting with cons- about consecration with friends, but it's a powerful biblical idea. It speaks of setting apart or making holy for God. 
The bane of my life at the moment is that we're renovating our kitchen. Relying on a microwave for dinners for six weeks is definitely not something I'll be rushing into again. And M, my wife, has been the driving design force behind the new kitchen. But one of my few requests, requests was to have some shelves for my coffee gear. A little coffee corner, if you will. <laughs> I wanted to set apart my coffee kit so that it didn't get contaminated by calcified kettles and hard water and not freshly ground coffee. Set apart to make great coffee. And hopefully that gives us a little insight into what consecration or holiness, which is a synonym, is about. Mark Scaletta puts it much more helpfully than me in his book on Leviticus. He says this, In the Old Testament, holiness was never a static concept, but required the re-consecration of every aspect of one's life each day. This involved repentance, sacrifice for sin, reconciliation with one's neighbour, appropriate treatment of the land, performing rituals, caring for those in need, and even eating the right foods. Consecration is about handing over every part of our lives to God. In the Old Testament, this meant rituals and sacrifices to draw close to God and atone for sin. But it's more than just something that they did. It's something that they inhabited. It was a way of life a direction that their lives were pointed, and it's the same for us today. Our passage this morning in Ephesians 4, 17 to 32, points us to three areas of consecration for the Christian. A consecrated identity, a consecrated mind, and a consecrated way of life. So let's look at each of these in turn. I'd encourage you to have, a, have the passage open in front of you if you can. I'll be jumping around within it. So if you've got a phone or you've got a Bible in front of you, please do so. It's Ephesians 4, 17 to 32. So a consecrated identity then. So there's something in these opening verses of the passage that is a little bit strange. Paul describes the Gentiles here as those who have a darkened understanding in verse 18 who are alienated from God, who have callous hearts, hardened hearts, those who have been corrupted by deceitful desires. And we need to be careful here because Harvard scholar Elizabeth Schusler-Firenze rightly cautions us about othering, about the othering that this kind of description could cause. Those are the bad people over there, the Gentiles, and we're the good people over here. But it's odd because who is Paul writing to here? It's a bunch of Gentiles. In fact, he calls them so in chapter 3, verse 1. He says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you, Gentiles. I think what's happening here is a key facet of Paul's thought that he brings to this letter, that our identity is hugely important. It's the bedrock from which everything else sprouts. He's saying that actually our primary identity has changed. You're no longer primarily Gentile but you've been made new. You're a new human. You're a part of the new humanity. So when he's describing Gentiles here, he's describing who they used to be. And it's this new self in verse 24 that the church in Ephesus is called to put on. The new self that only comes from knowing who we are in Christ, from hearing about Christ, as it says in verse 21. When we hear about him, when we hear who we are in him, 
the new self begins to become clear. And the new self is this version of you that will perfectly reflect the image of God. It's who we're called to be. Just imagine that for a moment, that for each of us, as unique people with giftings, skills and abilities and character traits and personalities and those habits, there's a version of us that will perfectly reflect the image of God. And it's fascinating that Paul starts with identity here. He doesn't start by saying, there's a bunch of things you need to do now you're in the club. You've made it this far and now here's the boxes that you need to tick. No. But what can, that can so often be our natural leaning, can't it? Okay, I'm in. What's next? What can I do? Self-improvement, gym classes, clocking in more hours at work, even being more generous or serving lots at church. And none of those are bad in and of themselves. But Paul's point here is they simply cannot be the starting point or the end point. They can't be the foundation or the goal. The foundation has to be knowing who we are in Christ. And the goal has to be a life with Christ. Tim Mackey of Bible Project fame says that the defining story of the new humanity, the new self, is that God loved us before we were even born, enough to die on a cross for us. The defining story of the new humanity, of the new self, is that God loved us before we were even born, enough to die on a cross for us. This has to be our starting point. So we put on the new self, the new identity that we receive. The consecrated identity means that we know who we are in Christ. A consecrated mind then. Well, again, there's something about that hardening of hearts that we read about in verse 18 that needs exploring. How does a hardening start, this withdrawing or shutting down to certain possibilities? Well, it must start with our mind, mustn't it? This darkening, a reduced ability to make connections, to be open to new ideas, a turning inwards, a trust that we are always right, a declaration that we are God. And into a culture that often condones that approach, Paul wrote that you are made new in the attitude of your minds. This remaking of our minds is huge. We're all raised with patterns of thinking and living, and when Jesus enters our life, we need to start again. To rebuild our thoughts about the world, about life, about who we are, recognizing that we were wrong to think that we knew where we were heading. We were wrong to think we knew who we were. We were wrong to think we knew the difference between right and wrong. And actually our mind needs to be renewed, to be made new in Christ. And this renewing is a journey. This remaking of the mind takes a lifetime. It's a perpetual renewal of our minds. But it starts with a message of Jesus as a truth that invades our reality. And just as with identity, it starts with hearing about Christ. See, the gospel breaks down the paradigms of our lives. It reveals our sin and it reveals the way to life. It declares the decision of God to love us and commit himself to us wholeheartedly. And that breaks apart any notion that we could have the solution within ourselves. Suddenly, the hardened heart is broken open 
and the calloused mind starts to soften, questioning if we really have it all wrapped up. And as Jesus breaks in, our minds start to become reformed. Slowly, gently, those connections are made in new ways. Our minds want to love and serve rather than criticize and take, to be gentle and kind rather than brittle and brutal, to be generous and hospitable rather than selfish and unwelcoming. These neural connections are remade in the image of Christ. And we begin the journey of a consecrated mind, a mind set aside for him, a mind that no longer prays, oh Lord, make me pure, but not yet, but instead is on their knees daily playing, praying, oh Lord, make me pure. So we've got a new identity and our mind is being renewed by the gospel and only now is there a change in action. The clothing metaphor is about identity, but it's also about practice, what is revealed on the outside of us. So this proclamation of Christ is the call to a new life, to put on new clothes. Verses 25 to 32 give us a beautiful description of that life together, honoring one another and loving one another practically. Summed up in this exhortation to not grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't dishonor the spirit that lives in each of us, but honor one another, that you will honor the spirit and build up the community rather than corroding it. And concludes, that passage concludes by saying that we should forgive each other, just as Christ forgives us. We're to image Christ in our actions. And here we see the start of what it looks like to respond and act on the consecrated identity and mind. It does mean we change how we live. In response to all we've received in Christ, how could we continue in this, to live in the same way? It means acknowledging the old scaffolding, the old way of life has come down. And now we need to put up a new scaffold. Mark Scalata again. The pursuit of holiness is a holistic process that requires the submission of every aspect of our lives, whether it's in what we eat and drink, what we buy, how we treat others, or how we pray and study the scripture. When we commit the entirety of both our, our physical and spiritual lives to God, we draw near to him. And in doing so, we draw nearer to those around us. As we experience God's holiness, the more we are compelled by his love for humanity and the more our hearts are more compelled the more our hearts are compelled by his love the more we will want to show his compassion and mercy to all people especially the poor the oppressed or the alien among us union with god's holiness always leads to union with those created in his image the old scaffolding has come down now let's put up a new one. Spiritual practices help us to resist a world that's constantly calling us into a life where we're formed by society. We're told to wear these clothes, do these things, act like this, care about this, don't care about that. We're bombarded by that messaging every day. And so often it's counter to God's kingdom, to the clothes that Jesus wraps around us, the person he calls us to be, the moral life he calls us to live, the way of life in all its fullness. 
And I remember having this moment in my own journey where I was so drawn by the life that I lived without Jesus, where I lived an uncaring life, a life focused on me, a life of drugs and sleeping around, and a life that bent and changed to my own will. A life that I could have continued and half-heartedly gone to church and presented myself as a good Christian, but I ultimately knew that it didn't satisfy. And I made a commitment then, as I've had to do so often since, to go wholeheartedly after Jesus. I don't want to settle for less than Jesus. It could be easy to muddle through this life with my heart divided. Jesus sometimes, and me most of the time. But to do that is to simply miss the point. If our lives aren't completely laid down before Jesus, if we're not all in, willing to give it all up for him, then we've missed it. But when we put into practice a consecrated way of life, in those rare moments for me, when I choose Jesus over whatever temptation might be facing me, he starts to change me. And my wants start to become his wants. And slowly those new clothes start to fit a little better. And the old clothes start to fade away. And the new self starts to come into its own. St. Augustine, who we heard about at the start with his slightly tongue-in-cheek prayer, had another prayer, a prayer of someone seeking God. He would pray daily, let me know you, you whose business is to know me to vouch for me and plead for me. Let me know you the way that I am known. Augustine knew his identity had changed. He knew that the defining story of the new humanity, of the new self, is that God loved us before we were even born, enough to die on a cross for us. And all his mind and his life were drawn towards knowing the one who had known him since the beginning. As we close, could we just stand for a moment and maybe posture ourselves to hear from God, to receive from God? You might want to put your arms out, close your eyes. You might want to sit and just have a moment of stillness. And as the band come back up, amazing. Um, I wonder if there's three groups of people here who might want to respond to this. So let's just take a few moments to see if the Spirit stirs anything in you as I talk through those groups, and I'll invite you forward for prayer in a moment, but just be open to God in this moment. The first group might be resonating with Augustine's initial prayer. We don't want to change. We'd rather put God off until later. And maybe this is a moment for you to open yourselves up to God for the first or the thousandth time and ask him to reveal his gospel to you afresh and to give you that new identity. A second group might be living divided lives. Those lives that say yes to Jesus on a Sunday and then go out and live for yourself in the week. You've grasped something of that identity, but your mind hasn't been consecrated. And maybe this is a moment to ask God to continue his work of renewing and remaking your mind, of consecrating your thinking and your desires for him. And a final group, maybe living in the consecrated identity and you feel like your mind is being consecrated too. But you want to give more of your life to him. And for you, maybe this is a moment to put a new scaffolding up. 
There's a sense that spiritual practices can be a scaffolding for our communal life and a way of living a consecrated life together. So for you, can I encourage you into four practices that could form that basis of this new scaffold? Firstly, prioritize Sundays. Don't make it optional, but make it the norm. Make it an exception to miss a Sunday here gathered together, worshiping as the people of God. Secondly, join a hub or a dwell group. Get stuck in to the communal life of the church together. Thirdly, read the Bible. You can grab a dwell reading plan from the library at the back and join in with our communal reading together. And finally, pray. Come along to morning prayer, Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays, or download our prayer journal from stsavers.church. Dive into a daily practice of prayer. Commit to these practices, this scaffolding, and to a life consecrated to him. So if something is resonating with you now around either wanting your identity to change, wanting your mind to change, or wanting your way of life to change, we'd love to pray for you. So this is the moment to be brave. And if God's just been stirring something in your heart during that, why don't you come forward? This is just a moment to come to the front so we can pray for you more easily. If any of those three categories are resonating with you, why don't you come forward now?